0: Hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. Gosh, I can never get this lighting right. This is this is terrible. Apologies on that, so I promise I'm here. Best thumbnail I've ever seen on a YouTube video. Well, then you should like, share, subscribe, and um, all that stuff. And force everybody else to do it too. <laughs> yes, I'm... I'm uh, does it show you as a patron? No, I don't know why. Well, it was kind of annoying. Okay, so before we get into it, oh man, I'm going to forget everything I'm supposed to tell you guys. I should write notes about this eventually. Remember, you all need to know Greek. So to go to fluentgreeknt.com, use the code militant for 20% off. Also, uh, if you like that music in the intro, there are the music links below. Remember to become a patron, to subscribe, to do all that stuff, and to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and to join the Discord, and also podcast, wherever you want to go podcast, and then bookstore, and Militant Thomas Mug, also links below. And you'll see right at the top of this video, there are two additional links that I usually post. And these are very important for the topic at hand because everybody has been asking me recently about what you should do about certainty. Because I have been a big proponent of certainty when it comes to philosophy, as the Catholic tradition always has. Well, this first link, I think it's the first link. No, it's the second link. Well, it's called The First Principles of Knowledge. It's by Father John Rickaby. Uh, he was a late nineteenth-century Jesuit. Back when the Jesuits were very, very based, so it's a it's a wonderful book. Um, goes against um, a lot, basically every single author that's against the Catholic principles of certainty. Make sure you use that link because there's a uh, a different book, um, same title, same author, but it's like a very bad scanned version. My version is very based, and as you can see, it's actually typeset. So. It is not garbage. So that's the first one, if you wanted to really deep dive into this topic. And then the second one uh, is more introductory. And this is actually one that I have shown before. If you really just want an easy sort of introduction, I'm going to be following the general outline that he provides here with other stuff. That I know. So that's Father Charles Copens in his A Brief Textbook of Logic. I know, I know, cover sucks. Yeah. Yeah, my cover making skills are terrible. The other one actually didn't look too bad. This cover isn't the best. Very sorry about that, but it is what it is. So, brief textbook on logic. That about half the book is actually on uncertainty, the other half is a good introduction to the basic principles of logic. So, there you go for that one. And then Copens actually has other books that I've published. But if you want to see all of the rest of them, you can go to ChristianWagner.com slash shop. Um, the Militant Thomas store where you get the mug and all the other books that I reprint. Except I've not posted um, First Principles of Knowledge on there yet. Okay. Now that we have gotten all of that out of the way, I did make a slideshow. So I wanted something, you know, visual makes it a lot easier. Add from Google Slides, yes. Man, I'm I'm boomer teching right now. There you go. Certainty one. Oh, it's processing. Sorry, there you go. Add to stream. Boom. The nature of certainty, and this is adapted from Copen's Brief Textbook of Logic, Book Two, Chapter One. So, if you wanted to go back and read in a bit more detail, um, it's right there. Oh, it, there you go. Is certainty like a transcendental? Oh, sorry, I forgot the forgot the answer to answer. Your question? No, it is not uh, because transcendental, uh, basically. Um, so, I guess you could say um, in the aspect. So, certainty has both an objective and a subjective element. The subjective element is the is the subject who has certainty. The objective element is that object in which we have certainty. So, technically, in its uncertainties, um, objective element that is our intellect in relation to a certain object. You can say that um that 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 uh our our intellect's relation. Uh, to the object so the object can give off certainty uh if you want to speak of it in that sense if you're referring to the to the subjective element then it would be transcendental um because the intellect uh can can know all things so yes in that in that sense uh since everything uh insofar as it has being um has truth and truth is that a uh, certain relation to the intellect so so yes um that in that way certainty can be spoken of as a transcendental but that would be like a very um improper way of speaking about it because certainty usually we're we're referring more so to the um to the subjective element which is the removal of of our possibility of error and and um assent for due reasons and, and stuff like that but that is a good question so thank you so first I'm actually going to get myself out. Of, I'm just going to get myself completely out of the way. So you won't even be able to see me at all. So first, what is certainty? So as uh, defined, it is the state of mind in which we firmly adhere to a truth on account of motives that exclude all fear of error. So uh, in this first, I guess you could say, episode of this series, I'm going to go over three things. So first, uh, what is truth? because that's going to be very important with how the Catholic philosophical tradition has defined truth. So second, uh, we're going to talk about firm adherence. So we're going to be thinking about the mind's relation to truth, because when it comes to um, certainty, we're specifically referring to the mind's relation to a certain object. And then third, we're going to be looking at those uh, subjective elements or levels of certainty, Ah, uh, in thinking about the motives that exclude all fear of error, so we're going to be just go really going over this this uh, definition in in general and all of its uh, various parts. Uh, we're not really going to get into much of the the uh, the super super debated stuff for for this episode. So s- first, we must go into the, what is truth. So, uh, defined classically, truth is the conformity between a mind and a certain object. So, something, uh, if you remember uh, way back, I did a video on the transcendentals. So, when we talked about truth back then, um, metaphysical truth, which is the second um, thing under uh, truth's general definition, we were thinking about that something has being. That is uh, that certain, um, certain actualization of, of, um, of existence um, in the real world. When something has, when something has being, being um, as related to the intellect, that is what we speak of as true, being as related to the appetites as goodness. So in that, in that second point, metaphysical truth is going to be that object which the intellect can conform to. And something is going to be true insofar as it has uh, being. But the first point is really what we're talking about is going to be logical truth. That is the knowledge of a mind as conformable. Thus, we can speak of true judgments or a true understanding of a fact or of a theory. So we're mostly going to be talking about when we speak about truth of the of the subject who knows truth. Or who judges truly? Because this is all going to be about judgments of truth, and then lastly, we can speak also of moral truth. So, moral truth is going to be the account with which the, um, which with with the, I promise I can speak today, which the subject gives. So, in the mind, uh, it's going to be called logical truth. Um, in reality, it's going to be called metaphysical truth, and then the mind expressing is going to be called moral truth. If you want to, if you want to give it a uh, a very pithy way so what we're going to be studying here is going to be logical truth so if we go back to our definition sorry the state of the mind in which we firmly adhere to a truth so the firm adherence to truth is going to be logical truth or um or the knowledge of the mind or actually i guess the conformant the conforming sorry sorry if that's confusing the the conforming of the mind to the uh, truth outside of the mind so I guess truth right here is actually referring to uh, metaphysical truth. But so we continue. So what is falsity? Because falsity is going to be a a huge issue with people, which people uh, trip up on. So falsity, in its most basic sense, is the opposite of truth. So it's important to note this is not the mere privation of truth. So let's say um, I don't know how many uh stars there are that's the that's the example which is classically given i i do not know how many stars there are in the whole universe that is not falsity because in order for falsity to occur there must be the opposite of truth whereas me not knowing how many uh stars there are in the universe that would be the mere privation of truth so that is not falsity so in order for it to be falsity, if I said, uh, let's say there's five stars in the universe, that would be falsity. And notice that's in consideration of uh, of logical truth. So this occurs when there is something in the intellect which does not conform to the object known. So that would be logical falsity. So if I, um, if my intellect assented to the fact that there was five stars in the entire universe, that would be logical falsity or when there's something in speech which doesn't account for what is in the intellect so if i said and told you and started teaching if i made an entire youtube series on the fact that there are five stars in the universe the the youtube series itself would be moral falsity so think for example um uh the other paul so the other paul might be watching all of the other paul's videos and tweets against catholicism that is moral falsity because that is the opposite of the truth since uh, catholicism is the religion which is which was preached by christ and therefore because it has the mark of divinity it is something which is absolutely certainty certainly properly true so all of the other paul's tweets against catholicism contain moral fa- moral falsity because it is the expression of what is contained in his intellect, which is a a non-conformity to logical truth. So the other Paul, if you're watching, uh, thank you for being my example. And there is no such thing as metaphysical falsity, because remember, metaphysical falsity, uh, something is true insofar as it has being, as we all agreed upon. So in order for something to be false, it would have to be the opposite of being. The opposite of being is non-being. And so... um, so non-being is just really a, um, a another a non-being doesn't exist. So um, since non-being doesn't exist, there's no such thing as um, metaphysical falsity, because you would have to say if there was a such thing as metaphysical falsity, that something which was non-existent existed. So uh, that would be a contradiction. Therefore, there's no metaphysical falsity. Um, yeah. So how does logical falsity occur? So first, the intellect affirms something which is not in the object. So for example, if I affirm that there is a fifth book of the Summa Contra Gentiles, that would be a logical falsity because I'm affirming something which is not in the object. So second, the intellect affirms something as real, which is merely apparent. So another an example of this would be to affirm that St. Thomas was the formal author of the Supplementum. So the supplementum, Thomas is actually only the material author. It was, uh, he was not the formal author of the supplementum. So I'm affirming something as real, where it's merely apparent because Thomas was the material author. I'm assuming that he's the formal author. And then the third, um, I can deny something which is in the object. So, for example, I could deny that St. Thomas covers the question of the equality of men and women in the Summa, where St. Thomas does treat this question um, of the equality of men and women in the Summa. (sighs) Sorry, I just realized that you can't see me. I just took a sip of my sparkling water. So that would be kind of weird since you can't see me taking a sip. Okay. So now apprehension, judgment, and truth, because from this, we have a conclusion. You may not realize it, but from the way in which we've spoken of falsity, henceforth, we can actually come to a come to a conclusion about truth and its relation to our intellect. So falsity concerns the conformity of the intellect to an object, as we agreed upon, uh, con- concerns the non-conformity of the intellect to an object. Therefore, it is in the realm of judgment, not apprehension. So this is going to be our first thesis, and this is going to become very important later when we consider certainty in more detail. So our first thesis is that a mere apprehension as such cannot be false. And um, as defined, simple apprehension is the act of perceiving an object intellectually without affirming or denying anything concerning it. So right now, I want you guys to to think of a triangle. So that image, which just popped into your mind, uh, that perception of a triangle, which exists in your mind, that is is a simple apprehension. So these simple apprehensions of certain objects, they cannot be false. Because as we said before, um, when it comes to falsity, that is in the realm of judgment. That is, we are judging something as true, which is actually um, not true. So the proof of this is, uh, this is from Copen's quote, a mere apprehension as such is merely a mental image of something, but every image in as far as it is an image is necessarily conformable to that of which it is the image, else it would not be the image of it. And there is an objection that comes up at this point. There are many false ideas, such as when we image God to be an old man sitting in the clouds. And the response to this is that the apprehension of an old man sitting in the clouds is a true apprehension, for it is an image of an old man sitting in the clouds. But when we make the judgment, this is God, it becomes false. But when we add that judgment, we have moved past a simple apprehension. So anytime that you're going to have a false a falsity which exists in your intellect, it is going to be a false judgment. It's not going to be the mere apprehension of the thing, which this may seem very trivial trivial right now that I'm making this distinction, but it is going to become very important. Um, This is going to become very important later. So... Now we're going to get into what are the states of relation of the mind to truth because we've thought about the relation of truth and falsity, but now we're going to have to think about what exactly a, um, a w- how exactly the mind can and cannot make a judgment. So, first, our mind could be ignorant, and this is when the truth is not present at all. And this can come in two types invincible ignorance, when we can remove it. For example, who was the first president of Canada? I have right now going to I'm going to come back. I have no idea who the first president of Canada is. This is something which I am invincibly ignorant of. But I'm going to Google it right now. First president of Canada. It is Sir John Alexander Macdonald. So there you go. That was live example, live example of invincible ignorance because I just removed my ignorance right there. Second, something can be invincible ignorance. For example, how many stars are in the sky? I cannot just Google how many stars are in the sky. That is something which I and everybody watching is invincibly ignorant right now of. Sec- I guess you technically get a, uh, a supernatural revelation of, of how many stars there are in the sky. But um, yeah. Doubt. Well, the well, the one thing I do know when it concerns the stars of the sky it is that it is more than the children of the Catholic Church, because Abraham has, well, I guess, yeah, I guess it's, no, 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 (laughs) no, sorry, I just, I just get so emoted right there. Okay, second, doubt, and the state of doubt is a hesitancy whether to assent, so when you are doubtful of something, there's something, there's an object which is actually present uh, in front of you. So ignorance, the object, is not present at all. The object, uh, stars in the sky, all of the stars in the sky are not present to me to be able to count. But uh, let's say I wanted to um, guess how many pages are in this book that I have in my hand, which you cannot see. I guess I'll... This book right here. Let's say the truth in front of me. Is the pages in this book now, or the amount of words in this book? I guess I could just go and count up all of the words in this book, that is entirely possible, but I am uh, not going to do that. So, if somebody told me that there were, I don't know, a hundred thousand words in this book, I would be hesitant whether to assent or not. Um, I would, uh, I could count up all the words in the book. But I am just going to remain hesitant. Now, this can come in two types. It could be positive doubt, which means that I have reasons for or against the amount of words in that book. So let's say um, the publisher decided to email me right now during the middle of the stream and to tell me uh, how many words there are in the book. Now, let's say I got another email, which was an anonymous source telling me that the publisher is actually lying and trying to cover up the amount of word count because they overcharge the printer. That is entirely possible. I now have reasons for and I have reasons against. So if I got those emails, I would have a positive doubt about how many words are in that book right now. Now, currently, actually, in real life, I do have a negative doubt. I have no reason either way, whether I, I really have no reason um, um, e- either way. I, have I've, I, I, I've negative doubt right now. Now, third, I could have suspicion. So um, let's say a news article came out later. Well, let's say somebody tweeted later and said that, I don't know, the other Paul decided to become Roman Catholic. Somebody tweeted that later. I would have suspicion against that. I would have suspicion against that, um, that, that truth. I would, I would have suspicion towards the truth that the other Paul is still a Protestant because of the fact that I am, I am a Roman Catholic friend of the other Paul. So the other Paul would probably Uh, text me or something and ask me questions if he was wondering about this or he would at least let me know before um, he tweeted it out so i would have a suspicion that it's just a joke but i would not uh, i would uh, really not uh, fully assent to either side so i have i have a reason to be suspicious now fourth i could have an opinion let's say um i don't know i have a the other paul so he some uh i guess he tweets out that he is converting to roman catholicism at first i'm suspicious that it's just a joke but a mutual friend of the other pauls and i um, messages me and says that it's legit so i have now i have somebody who is telling me and i have the tweet saying it's not a joke so let's say i form the opinion and the other Paul also deletes all of his anti-Roman Catholic um, content on his YouTube page. So now I am I am of the opinion that the other Paul is actually um, converting to the one Holy Roman Catholic Church. That is now my opinion. But I still fear that I'm erring. So I assent to one side with fear of error. Now this can come in two types. Let's say uh, first I uh, there's intrinsic probability. So first I am considering whether the other Paul uh, would convert or not. And I think, well, he has been um, thinking a lot recently about Roman Catholicism, maybe perhaps um, in consideration of the act of conversion and the fact that it's illumination of the Holy Spirit, um, perhaps he is going to going to convert. So I have a certain intrinsic probability because I've considered the thing itself. And um, now I'm going to assent to it. Now, in the second case, I get a text from a friend, uh, that mutual friend that I was talking about. When it comes to the text from the friend, that is extrinsic probability. It is a certain authority who is speaking on the matter to me because um, a mutual friend would be an authority on the uh, current state of the other Paul's mind in relation to converting to Roman Catholicism. So I have intrinsic probability for my opinion uh, if I have authority or intrinsic probability for my opinion if it's a consideration of the likelihood of the thing itself. So intrinsically, um, considering that whole situation, of let's say the other Paul sends a tweet out that he's converting. Intrinsically, I would probably have the opinion that uh, he is not actually converting and it's just a joke. But I would fear error because I I do not have the degree of certainty about that. But extrinsically, when it comes to uh, the the random text that I got from a mutual friend from that authority, extrinsically I would assent to the opposite side. But really, if I had both sources. Um, I probably would just, uh, I honestly, have doubt. I would have positive doubt because I'd have reasons for it and against it. But let's say I was feeling hasty and wanted to give an opinion on it. So, lastly, we can have certainty. So, certainty is the ascent of the mind to something without fear of error. Now, certainty can come in two types. We're gonna we're gonna break up a lot of different categories uh, of. Proper certainty later, but for now, you can have first proper certainty, which is fear of error is excluded by motives which leave no room for reasonable doubt. So you have excluded all of all reasonable doubts. So think of it as like a murder trial. So you have a murder trial and you have all of the evidence put, the dude's fingerprints are on the, on the murder weapon and he has no alibi and there's like a video of him and he tweeted out earlier that day that he wanted to murder this person. I have excluded my fear of error and the, the court has excluded their fear of error by motives who are leaving no room for reasonable doubt now because it wouldn't be reasonable for me to see all of that evidence, which all of those great motives, and then just say, you know, it's, a, it's just a possibility. That she was struck by lightning, and that it happened to so like jostle around her house that it created the his fingerprint on there because there's a one in ten quadrillion chance of his fingerprint being created on there, and it just happens that this and that and that happened. No, that that's actually really stupid. Those aren't reasonable doubts. That's that's the issue with uh, Cartesian skepticism, because all that all that Descartes bringing forth it is not reasonable. There are there are reasons which I will not go over now because we'll cover them later there are motives which cause me to to um to exclude the possibility of my mind being controlled by an evil demon there are motives so it's not reasonable to um it is not reasonable to have that doubt um, of my mind's uh certainty about a certain truth it's not it's not reasonable to have it uh, to think that there's a demon controlling my mind. Although there definitely was a demon who controlled Descartes' mind. That is quite certain. I have a proper certainty for that. So now, second, you can have improper certainty. And this is usually where uh, people get into trouble. Because improper certainty is fear of error is excluded by the free action of the will, which turns away the intellect from considering all reasons of doubt. So let's say... um. The other Paul's tweet came out that he said, I am going to become a Roman Catholic and get received at the Easter Vigil. I'm going to take a sip of my sparkling water. So you have that that situation that I brought up earlier where I gave an opinion. And let's say. I I spend some time considering all of the intrinsic probability and extrinsic probability, and I consider all the the motives and reasons for uh, for all of all all of all of it. I just I just spend a bunch of time considering it. I write disputations back and forth, considering whether this tweet is a joke, and then finally I just decide just throw it all away, and I'm just going to I'm going to assent to the fact that I am certain that the other Paul is not converting. I just decide to remove it by one action of my will and just not consider any of it. I'm just going to put my fingers in my ear, say la, 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 and decide, okay, that is that is going to be my, uh, my choice. That's going to be my certainty. Now, because I haven't uh, had certain motives which remove uh, any uh, reasonable doubt, I have improper certainty in that moment because it was I just excluded all fear of error, not by a a um, a deductive process of excluding reasonable doubt, but rather I have excluded my fear of error just by an action of the will, just by ignoring all of it. And I'm sure we can think of many people, (laughs) many, many, many people who have improper certainty about things. Uh, let's say um, somebody says that they are certain that let me think of a stupid opinion they are certain that um, gosh okay let me think of an opinion that won't get me cancelled uh, that they are certain that God doesn't exist let's 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 just' uh, let's just do that one that's a good one so this person they they start reading up on it because technically uh when it comes to the existence of god since it's from creation it can be known by the by the mode of reason so i'm not i'm not mixing up uh faith and reason here i did, i'm just talking about strictly the existence of god not any of the mysteries or truths of faith so the existence of god I, I, they, they pick up, I don't know, maybe they pick up the Teles or something. I Probably not. They, okay. Let, let's be perfectly honest. They're watching YouTube videos from a bunch of, uh, from a bunch of sodomites who, uh, who literally look like the guy from the uh Soy Jack meme. Like that, that's who they're watching videos from. And they're, uh, these guys are doing a bunch of debunking of the existence of God and they're making a bunch of stupid arguments that we've already responded to like literally two thousand years ago. Actually before even before the Christian faith, we've been debunking these arguments. It's not anything new. So they 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 start watching all of these all of these videos and and then they're watching and they're watching they're watching they're watching. And then they run into um, let's say a based in Chad Thomist. And the based in Chad Thomist Gives all of these, let's say it's uh, Mathema, gives them all these wonderful arguments for the existence of God. And they're like, okay, okay, dang, I am I am now at the level of opinion. I have the opinion, I have the fear of, with fear of error, that God doesn't exist um, from some intrinsic probability. And then they're thinking, they're thinking, they're thinking, and then they hate God so much. Uh, well, let, let's not even get go there. Let's say they they have so little concern for the truth that uh they're like okay i really I really 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 um really dislike the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, so what they decide to do is they just completely ignore all of the arguments from the chad thomas they don't they don't answer all of them any of them actually, and they just throw away all of the arguments that that they've been given for the other side and they decide to assent to the to the fact. And say that they have some sort of improper certainty, uh, no fear of error, ab- the absolutely they have no fear of error, and they say that God doesn't exist. And it's not by consideration of, of motives and of arguments, but it's just they they decide to just toss it aside by their by their own will. So when it comes to comes to falsity, falsity is only present in the last two, opinion and certainty. Because notice, um, you can either be ignorant where the truth isn't present, you can have doubt, you can have suspicion, none of those are in assent. So none of those contain falsity. You may lean to the wrong side, you may have hesitancy uh, concerning an important truth, but none of those are assent. None of those are assent at all. So, falsity can only be present when you have an assent, which is opinion and certainty. So, notice it, the removal of the will was the chief source of falsity, as I said, but there are certain proximate sources. So, first, you may have prejudice, that is, judgments formerly assented to without proper examination. So, you may have somebody who... Um, Let's go back to our existence of God example. They just don't consider the arguments. They just don't uh, spend spend the time that they should considering uh, both sides of the arguments for the existence of God. That person would have prejudice, properly speaking, prejudice. Uh, not none of this uh, gay stuff that people talk about now. Second, false information. So let's say somebody, uh, their high school teacher in, in school told them um, that God didn't exist uh, because God christian god mean man uh, uh bible made up and all that garbage that would be false information which would lead to a false scent of the will third dullness the person might just be dumb that that is entirely possible they try to consider the information and they they just they just they're they're dense and uh, that happens to me a lot with with certain opinion with certain uh debates my mind is just too dull to figure it out i i honestly just don't know i'm just I'm sure, I'm sure everybody uh, has those, has those times when they're, they're just, they're, they are they are just they they do not have big enough brain to consider this dullness. That might be a source of falsity inattention. Let's say they just, um, they're just, uh, kind of in lava land and that's why they, uh, they, they just, uh, randomly assent to a, uh, to, to a certain side and they just don't really care. And they just, uh, remove all fear of doubt because they just don't care that would be um, another source of falsity passion. Let's say uh, they're just really angry at um, they're just really angry at their mom or their parents. You have that teenage rebellion so they do not they remove all of their their fears of error or they might make an, they might have the opinion that God doesn't exist because I hate my mom and dad and my mom and dad think that God exists there there's there's another example impatience. So either because we are eager to act or too conceited to doubt our judgment or too vain to acknowledge our ignorance from all this, it is evident that virtue is favorable in the acquisition of sound knowledge. So let's say they're just they're just uh, they're they're full of themselves or they um, they they just don't don't want to go that hard, laborious process of knowing. So they just decide to remove all doubt and assent with certainty, or they may even uh, have the, they might assent to the opinion of something and they're, they're just impatient. They, they just go ahead of it and don't, don't really um, consider everything. So that is a, another source of falsity or lastly, it could be mental illness. Let's say you have a schizophrenic who is, who is judging that, um, I don't know, there are bugs under his skin that would be um, a certain source of falsity because I'm assuming there are not bugs under his skin. So elements of certainty. So remember we talked about those two elements of certainty. So first is that subjective element. So concerning the subject who is certain. And remember, we have two parts of this. First is firm adhesion. So that's called the positive element. So you firmly um, adhere. I, I think it would be adhere. Is that even a word? I, don't, I have no idea. You firmly um, assent, let's say, or adhere to the objective element, which is going to be truth. And then the second is the negative element, is you're going to exclude the fear of doubt. So second is the objective element. So concerning the object, which the subject has certainty about. So um, this is a quote from Copen's: Such a manifestation of a truth as is sufficient to exclude all fear of error. The subjective adhesion is caused by the objective manifestation. So uh, with um, Kyle Marx and his question about whether certainty is a transcendental, the objective element of certainty, that is the manifest sufficient manifestation of a truth to exclude all fear of error. So the objective element of certainty. Um, I don't know uh, my, my knowledge of the number of pages and my certainty about the number of words in my book example that I went earlier, the objective element is going to be the manifestation of truth, which is found in uh, the, the words of the book and my ability to count them. That is going to be that objective element is, um, are there, there's that, uh, that truth manifests itself. I'm just by the nature of words and numbers. So that is the objective element of, of certainty. And when it comes to that subjective adhesion and the exclusion of error, well, I guess the, just the subjective adhesion, just the positive element of, of um, the subjective element of certainty that would be caused by the objective element, that manifestation that the, that the um, object gives so there are various different types of certainty we're almost done yes so just this is there's a bunch of different categories of certainty so this is really going to set the foundation for the next i think three videos is what i'm going to be doing with certainty so first we can think of reflex certainty so that is certainty which reflects on the fact that it has uh certainty so i guess reflex certainty you can consider it as certainty about certainty um or reflex on the fact that we have certainty so you can also have direct certainty which is just um it's just certainty that you're not really reflecting on the fact that you have certainty uh, an example of this which is about to turn to reflex certainty is that you are um probably certain about death Now, you probably don't consider and reflect on the fact that you're certain about death, but you are, at least before I told you, you were directly um, certain of death, but you didn't really consider it right now. So there you go. And then uh, philosophical certainty is really just a species of reflex certainty. So philosophical certainty is certainty, but it notices distinctly and scientifically the motives of adhesion to a truth. So philosophical certainty considers those motives for adhering to the truth. And now you also have metaphysical certainty, which is when the mind sees that a proposition is essentially true because it's contradictory, would be absurd. Absurd. So an example of this would be do good and avoid evil. You're metaphysically certain of that because uh, your motive. So these are different. Uh, the, the reason these are divided, these last three, are because they have different motives for adhesion. So, with metaphysical certainty, um, you are you see the proposition is essentially true uh, because um, the so the impossible what, what the presuppositionalists would call the impossibility of the contrary. Second is physical certainty. So, this is according to the laws of nature. So, you may say you are physically certain of the fact that the dead do not rise again. You are physically certain about that. And then, third. You may also be morally certain of something, and this is when the mind sees something that is constantly and universally true in the conduct of men. So uh, for the first, your motive of certainty is the impossibility of the contrary. The second, your motive of certainty is um, the laws of nature. And the third, your motive of certainty is the consent of all men or uh, what kind of universally happens. That is, an example of this would be that good men do not lie. Um, The fact that good men do not lie, uh, that is something you are morally certain of. But uh, moral certainty can also be spoken of in a different aspect. I'm sure uh, anybody who follows apologetics has heard a lot of people talk about moral certainty this and moral certainty that. But that is a proper, actually a proper use of the term, is you can be morally certain, Basically, you have a strong probability of something. So I have not removed um, reasonable doubt because I can't I can't be reasonably certain really that my house is not on fire because uh, my wife is cooking dinner right now. So it's actually would be a um, uh, it would not be beyond a reasonable doubt uh, when it comes to the fact that my kitchen is currently on fire. But I have a moral certainty. I have a strong probability that my kitchen isn't currently on fire. But I do have um, a real certainty that my room is not on fire right now because I can look around and look at it. Bro, Cartesians be like, it's unwise to be certain about something. I'm certain about this. Cartesians are like, you can't have absolute certainty. Yes, I'm absolutely certain about this. Troll. Yeah, I guess this would, uh that that would, the fact that you can have certainty would fall under, um, I don't know whether it would be metaphysical or moral. Because, like, there can be truths like do good and avoid evil that are metaphysically certain. So it's not necessarily like the fact that a triangle, because you can be metaphysically certain about the fact that a triangle does not have four sides. Or the fact that uh, one is not two, or the fact that like one plus one equals two, or or something like that. So metaphysical certainty, do good and avoid evil. So maybe maybe the fact of absolute certainty would be, or it could be morally certain because, yeah, but it's not really the. I guess you can know it from the conduct of men, but not properly. I don't know which category that would fall under. What? Uh, Interesting. But okay. So there he had a really good conclusion. So I'm just gonna read this conclusion and then wrap it up. So I just copied his whole conclusion to this discussion. So he says, subjectively considered, all kinds of certainty are alike in the negative element. That is, all exclude fear of error. But the positive element, that is, the intensity of the mind's adhesion to truth may be more or less firm. So in By definition, to be certain of something is to remove reasonable doubt. So when it comes to the negative element, all kinds of certainty are on a level playing field. But when it comes to the adhesion, that is the positive element, so the fact that we have adhered to something, uh, our, our certainty can differ. So in some cases, as in axioms, and generally in all that is immediately evident, The mind cannot doubt the agreement of subject and predicate. Thus, we cannot help seeing that a whole is greater than its parts, that some bodies exist, that virtue and vice differ from one another, etc. Even in many things that are only immediately evident, we cannot entertain a doubt. uh, For example, no well-informed man can doubt that ancient Rome existed. In many matters, however, we can refuse to admit the objective truth. And in others, we can find it difficult to steady our attention sufficiently on the object to exclude all doubt. Metaphysical certainty, admitting no possible exception, is, as such, nobler than other kinds. Still, it is not always stronger in a given case. Thus, I am more intensely convinced of Caesar's death, which is a matter of moral certainty, than of many theses in mathematics or philosophy, which rest on metaphysical principles. Okay. So that is all I have for you today. Remember to subscribe, to buy those books if you want to know more about certainty, and to become a patron if you really, uh, if you actually, I forgot to mention this earlier, but if you become a patron, you do get a PDF of those books from me. So thank you, and I will talk to you guys later. Remember, it is, is it still Ascension Tide? Yes, until this Sunday. I think this Sunday is Pentecost so our lord has ascended hallelujah hallelujah